0: Well, good morning, y'all, and happy Easter. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, I was thinking this week about July 27th, 2012. Apparently about 2012 was the last time the Nuggets, but also the last time the Nuggets won in San Antonio. And I'm in Peru for the Nuggets this week, so I'm celebrating also the Nuggets win last night. But uh, they won last night. So uh, I won't get into sports for those non-sports fans here. Um, but I was thinking about July 27th, 2012, was the day that Lexi, my daughter, our daughter, was born. Uh, but the thing is, it all started uh, that previous Wednesday. So she was born on Friday. It all started that Wednesday. So I came home from work around 6 or something, and and Karina had been out doing things. One of her friends came into town, and they're doing all this stuff, getting ready for baby coming. And I don't remember if it was, like, when we were going to bed or if it was when we were starting to get ready for bed, but you, you realized, like, she realized, like, but well, something's happening here, and, you know, things were getting started. So I don't remember if we went to sleep or what happened, but, uh, you know, hey, it's, it was a blur, like, okay. So at some point in the middle of the night, yeah, it was a blur for me, I can only imagine for her, right? <laughs> so at some point in the middle of the night, like, we decided to go to the hospital, and it was like, I feel like it was like 2 a.m., like 2 a.m., we go, uh, we lived in Broomfield at the time near you. And we went over to Good Samaritan, and we checked in, did all the things, and were there for a couple hours. And then, of course, like I'm sure many of you know, they sent us home. Weren't far enough along, so I, I think at least I tried to go back to sleep, and I don't know if you actually got some sleep. She did not get sleep. Uh, so I think it was like 6 a.m. or something, her mom had come over, and eventually the, the point came where she's like, I'm done, I need some drugs, right? Was that what it I don't know, at some point, she doesn't remember either. We decided we're going back to the hospital. So we went back to the hospital and uh, you know, I think that was like Thursday morning. Yeah, it was Thursday morning. We went back in the hospital, went through that, she went through that whole process of, you know, epidural and pushing and all that stuff. And and, uh, all the way through, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday a.m. morning, and it was like I think it was like 6 or 7, or 8 a.m., they were like, okay, Lexi is being stubborn, so we're going to make the decision to go to a C-section. So being that it was kind of a last-minute thing, things were kind of harried, and I remember just being like, wow, I have never been, I know you have all sympathy for me, right? The man. I just remember like, I had, <laughs> caught that one a little late. <laughs> I just remember, like, never being that tired before in my life, and, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever been, like, in a hospital, part of the C-section, but, like, they, they make you wear this whole, like, get up, and I was just remember thinking, like, wow, I am so tired. I hope I can just, like, stand in the OR and not, like, pass out from exhaustion. Um, so anyway, I made it through. Thank, thank God, right? I made it through. <laughs> <laughs> so I made it through, and then uh, you know, it was all pretty quick. Like they got, you know, they, they cut her open, took Lexi out, took her over to the table, did all the stuff, and then like they ushered uh, Lexi and I out to the recovery room. And it's those moments in the recovery room that I kind of remember the most from this whole from this whole event. I was just sitting there. I think it was like a rocking chair holding Lexi, and I was telling her about, you know, Karina and I, about our life, about our family, about, about our world, and I was just kind of telling her all, and it was kind of this really special moment for me right then and there, um, just talking to her about who we were and what we were about. And it was in those moments I remember that I just kind of had this, this click that everything had changed. Uh, I was a parent now, and let me tell you, for y'all parents, everything did change, right? I think everyone here as a parent and can attest to that. Uh, I mean, my sleep patterns changed, right? I mean, especially, and less so me maybe than Karina, her sleep patterns changed the most. Although I remember when she went back to work, getting up in the middle of the night and watching like 2 a.m. Sports Center while giving Lexi some bottle feedings you know, our, my schedule changed. I think this is the one thing that I, I was, the hardest thing for just for me is my schedule doesn't matter anymore. It's baby's schedule that matters most. Because if baby's schedule doesn't matter most, the rest of your schedule is just miserable. So baby's schedule matters most. And I know even with Jackson, our youngest, is um, once I figured out his schedule, oh man, things got back to normal, at least for me so my schedule changed, and then uh, my priorities changed. A clean house, <laughs> nice things, nights out don't matter so much anymore. Keeping this baby fed and clean and alive is the most important thing. I don't know about y'all, but I've kind of given up on that. This whole, like, having nice things and having kids, I don't know if they, I think that's, like, that is, it's not impossible. You either have to have, like, I don't know, like, a ton of money or like just like a ton of time just to like constantly be cleaning up and fixing kids' messes. So uh, maybe y'all have some advice for me can help me out with solving that uh, riddle. Yeah. <laughs> but my priorities change. But as much as I like to think that that morning in July of my life changed forever, truthfully it had been changing long before. Uh, for starters, one of the things I had done, and Karina had encouraged me to do, was to take this daddy boot camp at Good Samaritan Hospital. Has anyone heard of that or taken that? Paul take that. Okay, cool. Um, so this was kind of like this, this kind of room like this where they bring in a bunch of soon-to-be dads, and they get us all in this circle, and they kind of tell us about the basics of caring for a baby, you know, changing diapers, proper feedings, diapers, I guess I said that, you know, how to be a good dad. Uh back, one of the things I appreciated most about that class is like they the the, the teacher who was a dad himself really encouraged us soon to be dads to um what's the word I'm trying to say? Like to to get in there and yeah, and be involved. And like, you know, because when you have a new baby, like everyone wants to hold the baby. All these everyone's come over and hold the baby, and then like they're like, oh fussy baby, I guess i will leave now. <laughs> but the <laughs> the thing that this dad this this teacher encouraged us, was like, hey, this is your baby. Like, you take time to hold your baby and bond with your baby. And I appreciated that um, because, you know, I had a lot of anxiety. I don't know if Karina remembers this, but I had a lot of anxiety about whether I could hack it as a, as a dad. Like, whether I was adequate enough to be a caregiver. And that's part of the reason why Karina encouraged me to take this class. And, uh, you know, I, I never really cared for newborn children before, young children, other than, I guess, hanging out with my siblings, and so I had my doubts of whether I was up to the task. So um, it really helped me taking that class. And, and truthfully, part of my anxiety, I guess, about um, this whole parent thing and having a child was, was uh, Karina had graduated from nursing school, but she hadn't yet landed a job. So when Karina told me that she was pregnant, in the lobby of Wendy's, so anyone know the Wendy's on 92nd Sheridan? Hey, we were high class back then, so don't judge us. Uh, I will confess I was not the most receptive to her announcement. So while things changed drastically for me that day in July, in many ways they had begun to change. I bet, I bet many of us, if we think back to times in our lives when things changed, whether it be the birth of our child, uh, the start of a new relationship, or coming to, out to someone for the first time, I bet, if we think about it, like you know, if you're thinking about it like like I am right now, like things might have seemed sudden in that change, but really they were kind of in process for some time. You know, if it was the birth of a if of the if it was the birth of a child, you know, nine months ago, we had to we had to engage in intercourse, or we had to start IVF, or we had to adopt. There was some process that began some some time before. You know. Uh, a stork doesn't just show up, right, and, and drop us a baby in our lap. It, you know, if it was if it was the start of a new relationship, you know, we had to we had to begin something. Whether it, even if it was just going out on like a blind date, and maybe that was an instantaneous relationship that clicked immediately when we met that person, but there was some 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 mentality, some preparedness that you know we were going to go and perhaps enter into a new relationship. So my my point is that while situations like these are momentous and transformative in their own right, I think we can see that often these transformative moments in our lives are often the result of a process rather than a sudden, one-time moment or experience. So in a similar way, Easter, what we're celebrating today in the resurrection of Jesus, is also one of those things we tend to look at as a one-time, single one-time moment or experience, when if I can say on the contrary, looking at the story of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus is just one part in the process of God's plan to redeem the world. A plan, if I can say so, a plan that is still very much in process today. So what do I mean by that? I'm glad you asked. I want to bring our attention to the book of 1 Corinthians. So the 1 Corinthians was actually a book written by the Apostle Paul. It was, it was a letter written to this church in the ancient city of Corinth, which is one of the largest and most important cities in ancient Greece. And even under Roman rule, there was a sizable, um, sizable community of Christians or Jesus followers who had formed in that city. And we know a lot, relatively speaking, about this community of Christians. Christians in Corinth, but most of what we know is because of bad things about them, honestly. Because much of what the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Corinth was about problems or issues they were having. Um, so it's, it's at the end of this, this letter, or what we know is now is chapter 15, that Paul addresses what he sees as a lack of understanding among the Corinthians. Again, they're from Corinth, so they're Corinthians, right? Amongst these Corinthians regarding Jesus' resurrection and the significance of it. So, we're going to read uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, I always like to do this, even though it's kind of low tech, I still think there's something special and significant about reading from the Bible. So, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to follow along. Uh, or, again, we have it here on the screen. You can read there too. But we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's kind of a long uh, section. So, please just hang with me. Uh, if you can. So we're going to start at verse 12. And Paul writes, So if the message that is preached says that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. If Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. We are found to be false witnesses about God because we testified against God that He raised Christ when he didn't raise him, if that's the case, then the dead aren't raised either. If the dead aren't raised, then Christ has been, hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And what's more, those of you who have died in Christ are gone forever. If we have a hope in Christ only in this life, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else. And I grew up reading this from the King James Version that said, You will be most we are most miserable. But verse 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. So basically, these Corinthians were discounting the significance, or they're dismissing the significance of the resurrection. And for Paul, Dismissing or even discounting the resurrection, if you're going to do it in wall, you might as well just throw it all away. Because for Paul, the significance of the resurrection was pivotal to the entire faith. And more, for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus represented the first crop of the harvest. Now, I don't know how many of us are farmers here, right? I'm not a farmer. So what does that mean, right? First crop of the harvest. Paul is saying that the resurrection of Jesus, according to Paul, was just the first step in the process of God's plan to redeem the world. So in discounting the resurrection, these Corinthian Christians, that's a tongue twister, these Corinthian Christians were dismissing God's ability to bring life out of death everywhere. They were dismissing God's ability to transform everywhere else. And for Paul, this was a big deal. I mean, he spends an entire chapter writing about it. Because for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just this one-time single event. The resurrection of Jesus was sign and symbol of God's plan to redeem and transform the entire world. So, if these Christians were saying the resurrection didn't matter, they were saying God's plan through Jesus didn't matter, didn't exist, didn't happen. And if that's the case, I mean, what is the point? Why are we doing this? I mean, I have better things to do on... I suppose I could come up with something else to do on a Sunday, right? I'm sure you all could. Because for Paul, following Jesus wasn't about just sitting around holding hands singing kumbaya or whatever. For Paul, it was about being a part of what God is doing in our world through Jesus. So Paul is asking these Corinthians, these Christians in the Corinth, saying, do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus still matters? Then be a part, if you do believe it still matters, then be a part of what God is still doing. That song we sang, uh, Beautiful Things, God is still, bringing up. God is still doing, bringing up hope from this old ground. God is still bringing new life up from this old dust. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. That it's still in process, and God invites us to be a part of it. So, Paul, so Paul's biggest beef with these Corinthians wasn't that they had doubts or they had questions, but rather his beef was that they didn't think It mattered. You know, if you're here this morning, I'm guessing—maybe I'm wrong—but I'm guessing I don't have to convince you of the resurrection, right? Let's just let's just say that. Like, sure, maybe you have questions or things you don't understand, or sometimes you have doubts. That's okay. That's okay. Because really, like, Paul wasn't trying to get the Corinthians to sign on to a, a doctrinal statement, right? He wasn't like trying to ask them to like consent to a an affirmation rather I think what Paul was asking of the the Corinthians is the same thing I'd like to ask you today to say do you still believe that the resurrection matters and if you believe that then I want you to be a part of what God is doing today because it's that ongoing transformative work dramatically started in Jesus that Paul was trying to make a point of And that's the ongoing process of God's transformative work dramatically started in Jesus that these early Christians in Corinth were dismissive of. And so often people were today dismissive of it, discounting it. I don't know. And it's it's not it's not that we almost dismiss the resurrection of Jesus. It's just like we don't live into and follow through with what the resurrection of Jesus fully means. Like, we're sort of taught that, that if we believe in the resurrection, like, we're good and that's it. We can stop there, right? But God doesn't want you to stop there. For Paul, the resurrection of Jesus means that God wants to redeem you. God wants to redeem your relationships. God wants to redeem your communities. God wants to redeem your nation. God wants to redeem the world. God wants to redeem the world. And really, you are just the start. I am just the start. You know why you're just the start and I'm just the start? Because God wants you, God wants me to be part of the process by taking part in God's process of transformation. You bring God's transformative power to your relationships, to your community, to your world. That's why Paul was so insistent on these Corinthians taking the resurrection seriously. Because like you and me, we are part of God's plan to redeem the world. So we are here. Yes, we are here to celebrate. We're not just here to celebrate, though. And yes, we should celebrate God's transformative work in our world, but we cannot stop there because God did not stop there. Like Paul said, Jesus was just the first crop of a great harvest. Like that song said, God is still bringing up life from this old dust. So as much as we're here to celebrate, we're also here to be equipped. We're here to be trained. We're here to be empowered and encouraged to be part of God's transformative work that God is seeking to do in our world, begun so many years ago in Jesus. You know, when we look at all the pain and the suffering in our world, it is so easy it is so easy to lament that anything can be done about it. I mean, gosh, just to this morning, like Tom said, just this morning, news came out about terrorist bombings in Sri Lanka in churches on Easter Sunday. And when you think about what a week prior, the burning of Notre Dame, and weeks prior, the burning of the African American churches was in Mississippi, Louisiana. Sometimes it just seems too much. And sometimes we can wonder, can anything good, can anything good come up from this old ground? But when we dwell in those doubts, and when we stay in those doubts, not that those doubts in themselves are wrong. We all have those sometimes. We all have those doubts. I don't want to dismiss those doubts. I don't want to discount those doubts, but when we stay in those doubts, when we dwell in those doubts, when we abide in those dwell- doubts, we dismiss and we diminish that sane, transformative work of God shown in the resurrection of Jesus. We dismiss God's power in the resurrection of Jesus to continue to bring transformation to our world today. Like Paul told those first corinthians if you believe in the resurrection you've got to believe in god's ability to be a part of that process to continue that process and paul told them you've got to we've got to be a part of that process if we go back to that first story right the open tomb. The story is, right, that, that Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were the first ones to the empty tomb, right? They were the first ones to proclaim the resurrection. Think about that. Women were the first, first to proclaim the resurrection, these two women. Mary, Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, they were, and the disciples. They each did their part in proclaiming the good news. We've got to do our part too. You know, we're just a small church and a small city in the grand scheme of things. But we together in Mission Gathering Christian Church are participating by participating in God's transformative plan to redeem the world through the resurrection of Jesus. We are doing and we are living into and we are being a part of God's transformative work. Each time we welcome another to this place, each time we learn and grow in our faith, each time we take what we have received, God's grace and God's love, and we give it to another, we are participating in God's plan to redeem the world. When we understand, when we understand the ongoing transformative process that God started in Jesus, when we understand that, things can never be the same. Because truly, Easter changes everything. Let's pray.